Welcome back to another episode of the Fab Lab Podcast. I am your host, Aaron Crowley. So glad, fellow fabricator, ladies and gentlemen, that you tuned into this episode because this episode is awesome. I had the opportunity to sit down, um, I mean, across the country <laughs> via Zoom, but I had a chance to sit down with Rick Stimak. CEO of BBI, formerly known as Braxton Bragg Incorporated, and uh, we had an awesome conversation. He is a, a fantastic leader, dynamic leader, and uh, came out of a completely different industry, brought some really amazing perspective to that company and, quite frankly, to our industry. And we talk about it all in this interview, and it uh, it is worth listening to every minute of it. Going to learn some just fantastic leadership principles, going to reinforce some fundamentals that we all, as leaders, need to hear from time to time. And so, I'm not going to spend too much time teeing it up because the, the conversation, the interview really stands alone, speaks for itself. But before we get to that, I want to mention a word from our sponsor. About 15 years ago, roughly, I saw an ad in a Stone Industry magazine, called on it, and ended up having a conversation with the owner of this particular company, who is also a sponsor of the Fab Lab podcast. It's Moraware. That online demo that was done for me the first time I called in, the gentleman on the phone happened to be one of the owners, and he said, hey, if you're at a computer, let me demo. And at that time, Zoom didn't exist, and I had to do this little feature where he could go in and take over my computer, and he proceeded to do this online demo and showed me the power of MoreAware, the opportunity to do quotes, to save revisions, to schedule jobs out of a quote, to put them on a calendar, and then automatically schedule all the aspects of production from templating layouts, fabrication, installation, service work after the fact, confirm calls, confirm schedules, and consolidate and keep all of that information electronically so that everybody in the company could access it. Everybody in the company had the same view of what was going on as opposed to searching for those file folders that mistakenly get placed or lost, misplaced, forgotten, and and causes so much frustration. And so, ladies and gentlemen, so much has improved. I mean, it was awesome then. It's even more awesome now. We still use it in our fab shop today. I have oftentimes said, if I couldn't use MoreAware, I would get out of the business because I cannot imagine going back to trying to operate my stone shop without this product. And so, ladies and gentlemen, I would encourage you to do the same thing. They still offer free online demos. It's even easier today than it was 15 years ago. So make sure you visit moreaware.com. You can schedule a free online demo to see how this software program can radically improve the efficiency and the procedures within your stone shop to make your life easier, to make your business more profitable. So ladies and gentlemen, I ask you, Support the sponsors that support the Fab Lab podcast and make these kind of conversations that we're about to have with Rick Stimak possible. So, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, my interview with Rick Stimak, CEO of BBI, formerly Braxton Bragg Incorporated. Enjoy. Rick, welcome to the Fab Lab podcast. What an opportunity we've got to talk with you today. I look forward to it, Aaron. Thanks for uh, having me. Yeah, it's, it's been a little while since we met at that event down, uh, down south where it was warm and sunny, and I've been looking forward to this conversation for, uh, for about two years now. <laughs> I look forward to having it. Thank you very much for having us on. Um, a little bit uh, cold here outside today in Knoxville, Tennessee. It's about 50 degrees, so I uh, remember the warm place much better than, uh, than what we've got today. Yeah, that was a great event. Same thing here in Oregon. Cold, drizzly, gray, and uh, palm trees and sunshine is definitely on my mind. But uh, but this conversation, I've I've been looking forward to this. You know, as a CEO of a major company in our industry, 
Uh, I just want to thank you for taking the time. This is a, this is a big deal to me, and I, I'm really excited for the audience to have the opportunity to just to get to know you, get to know Braxton Bragg or BBI a little bit better, and uh, and and learn you know from the perspective of a CEO who's who's you know operating in a different you know facet of the industry, serving the fabrication community. I just I'm excited to hear from you today. So so thank you for coming on. Yeah. Well, um, CEO, big word, but I would just say you know. It's a great honor, I, I, is the way I look at it, to be able to lead people, work with people. I feel, you know, as a company, we've got 47 employees, which to me really means we've got 47 families that we're responsible for. And how, as a CEO, can we make sure that as we're going through the COVID situation or whether things are great or not so great, um, it still comes down to the people. So. Mm-hmm. You know, any organization, small company, large company, whatever it may be, I think all of us have that responsibility to help other people. And uh, it's a really big passion and initiative for us with BBI as a company and myself personally that I, I, I take a lot of pride and responsibility in making sure that families come first. So that's the way I look at it. That's where my starting point is every morning. And that's kind of how we lead here. Oh, that, that's fantastic. Well, and I'd like, you know, to that point, uh, a lot of small business owners, especially right now, the stone industry is just booming and, and everybody we talk to, you know, stone shop owners are, they're, they're busy and it's kind of unique, kind of unexpected, you know, as a CEO, um, it, well, backing up a little bit, the, a lot of these owners, a lot of times the demands of the business can sort of take over and, in a sense, rule their life. And a lot of owners struggle to maintain that balance between family, which is so important. And like you and I were talking before we started, even more important now with this COVID and, and just the uncertainty in the election. So how, how does that look from a CEO's perspective of, you know, that maintaining that balance, maintaining that leadership role, but still making time for your family? Yeah, I would be the worst person <laughs> at answering this question because I don't do that well. But here's what I would say. Um, I, I believe all of us would say this, I hope, but I have the best life partner in the world at home. And, it, and I think as I talk about the importance of our BBI family in the group, um, I have that support at home and everything we do, whether it's our activities here or things that we're doing as an organization, I have her involved and she enjoys being involved. I know there's some significant others that uh, aren't quite as excited about, you know, the work part. So they, they want the home part more often. And I think because of my support that I get at home, I'm allowed to do that. So that's good. Um, But I still need that break, right? I think we all still need that, that separation. And so um, I think it's, I, I think for me, it's just making sure that just like I try to do with all of our, our BBI family members, understanding what their goals are, what they want to do as individuals, try to do that at home as well. And just making sure that I, I, I can't be there as much as I'd like to when things are tough here, but making sure I'm there for the right things, making sure I'm putting a priority in the things that our kids, you know, my wife, the things that is really important to them, that there's, there is no ability to miss that. So it can't be as much as I would like, but I don't miss the important things so that at least the important factors are taken care of. So I try to, I try to do that to make sure that I show how important they are to me, even through these troubled times. Yeah. And it's, 
you know, we just need to remind each other. A lot of times we get so busy and that the pull and demands, you know, it, it happens so slowly sometimes or sort of subconsciously we don't even realize it. And it's just good to have that reminder to even talk about it briefly to go, that's right. That's really important. I got to I got to start moving back in that direction and keep those things in mind. And so I guess it's good to know that, uh, that we all deal with the same things, no matter what, what level we're operating at. And so, oh, oh, that's great. Schedule it, you know, schedule it, put it on the calendar, make sure that there's no exceptions for making changes on the important factors. And, you know, the little things are important too. And so it's, uh, it is, it's equally as difficult for all of us. Uh, so I, quick question just comes to mind. Who, who do you go to when you want to take time off? I mean, who, who approves that for you? <laughs> well, my wife, first of all. Um, but I would say from a, from a work perspective, just similar to the initiatives, we have a senior leadership team that we have our, you know, some of our processes that we have in place. One of them is a weekly meeting, which is we call a level 10 with our EES or EOS process, I would tell you that during that weekly meeting, there's all kinds of discussions that happen about what our initiatives are for the week, what we have to do. And so through EOS, we really have um, that time to say, this is what is needed and this is what I have to do personally, so I'm not gonna be here for this. And that's our opportunity. So I would say my, the leadership team Okay. Keep me in check with what I have to do and when I can have off. Okay. Oh, interesting. Well, we're all we're all constrained by some outside influence and uh, <laughs> and force. So I was just curious how that worked in in this type of an organization. So, so with that with that being said, you know, in terms of some of the history of of BBI Braxton Bragg, I've known you know the, about the company, done business with the company for years. At one point, it was a private company, and then it was sold. and And can you walk us through kind of what that that history is, and how that transition occurred, and and what led to you know you coming on board? Yeah, so kind of a couple different stages. Company's been around for twenty six years as Braxton Bragg. Um, in about, I'll give you some estimates, but about two thousand and seven ish, uh, we went from uh, a private company to selling to private equity. We have private equity, we call them uh, family money, if you will. Hmm. Family money is more representative of long-term relationships and owing us. So they've owned us since 2007. Okay. So it's really a private company, one individual that really owns our company. Okay. He owns a majority of it and I have a percentage as well. Okay. The interesting part of that is through 2007, and when we kind of had the crash, we had an outside sales force and primarily inside. Um, and at that time, the owner was leaving. We brought in a new president. Everybody had issues going on at that time. He didn't last long. We had a consultant in place. That consultant came in and said, let's get rid of all the outside sales guys. Let's go back to direct marketing. Let's have Slippery Rock Gazette. So we've got a, a publication that's still in the only printing publication in the stone industry. Um, but that's been around for 26 years. We kept that. And then we kept Braxton Bray. So about 10 or 11 years, we had another president that was in place. And that's when I got recruited. We were a direct marketing firm. We were uh, in a 
in a interesting position in the industry. Um, but what we weren't doing is growing at the level we'd like to. We didn't have the local presence to gain market share. And that's where the owner came to me and said, well, listen, we'd like to talk to you about coming in, having a sales and marketing change to drive uh, industry growth. And so those are some of the things that uh, we agreed on about three years ago. And that's when I came in. Okay. So you were working outside of Braxton Bragg or BBI at the time? Air conditioning uh, in distribution, which is uh, as different as the products seem, very similar to the makeup of our industry. Hmm. If, if you look at uh, heating and air conditioning, it's really ran very similar where there's several uh, heating and air conditioning contractors that have um, a certain brand or a certain company that they really uh, deal and work with, but they sell that through distribution. And so I ran a $500 million distribution facility that was a, uh, that had train and Mitsubishi, some industry, large industry named uh, organizations. And so we were a 85 year old distributor and doing a lot of the same things that we needed to do here at Braxton Bragg, which was making sure that we were a good partner to the contractor, helping support them in some of the issues that they may have, whether it is product related or business related. And how can we help somebody who's a really good fabricator or back in heating and air conditioning, who's a very good installer, who, who understands the technical part of the business, but what about a website? What about lead generation? What about understanding your true P&L? So as a distributor, how can we partner with you and bring some of these third parties in, help support you? So that was my background. I uh, took the company from about 250 million to 500 million in five years. Uh, 85 year old company that had 450 employees. So how did you look at their culture, look at making a little bit of a change? Um, so with that experience, there was an opportunity to bring that to Braxton Bragg and also this industry. And that's really how I think we have changed as a company over the last three years. And that's why we wanted to change our name to BBI, even though it's a lot of the same base and same company, the idea is how can we become a true partner and really support what we're hearing are some of the needs of the fabricator and use some of those techniques and things that we did with the companies like Train or Mitsubishi who are billion dollar companies who have a lot of marketing dollars. How can we use some of those best practices and bring those to the stone industry? Mm. God, that's, I love really, that's really how we've evolved over the last couple of years. Uh, I, I'd love to explore that a little bit. That That's sort of been my hobby horse, I guess you could say, over the last it, 10 years, maybe maybe a little bit longer than that. When I, st- I actually wrote articles for Braxton Bragg or for the Slippery Rock for, for years. And, and, and this is what the Fab Lab podcast has is, is in a sense attempted to continue is this focus on the business side of the business where my observation had been that, that it, it, there was so much focus on the equipment, so much focus on the, you know, the, the, the technology and to the exclusion of these other extremely important aspects and you know, dimensions of business. And, and so I love hearing that. And, and I'm curious to know what 
you know, what would be your starting point or what's BBI starting point, you know, looking at that, you know, sales and marketing, the business, the P&L, the financials, leadership management, what, what does that look like uh, from your perspective right now and how you would deliver that to the fabrication community? Yeah, great, great question. I, so I'll be really careful on, these are my personal views. So right <laughs> or wrong, I'll take the blame for all these, but you know, coming from heating and air conditioning, you're talking a multi-billion dollar industry. And, and in terms of scope and scale, how much, and not necessarily exact percentages, but would the heating and air conditioning industry be five times the stone industry, 10 times? What, what's the scope? I would say there? that the stone industry is less than 10% the size of heating and air conditioning. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I mean, by far. And let me just throw in heating, air conditioning, and refrigeration, because all of those kind of go together. So when you put all those together, yeah. It's a big industry. <laughs> but what's, what's the most, I'm probably going to alienate a whole bunch of people here, but I'm pretty open. So my biggest issue that I come from heating and air conditioning was there was one organization called Hardy, Heating and Air Conditioning Industries. So it's really their distribution support mechanism that they had for the whole industry and people shared information people were a lot more involved in what the needs were even though these were large companies um they were willing to share the information and what i found interesting when i when i came to the stone industry was that when you look at our associations and you and and you can list them all, right? There's several of them. Right. They all have very, they have, they have good people, good intentions, but it's very fragmented mm. in what their goals are for the industry. And even if you look at the new items, the uh, innovation that's happening in our industry, most of that comes from fabricators, which I'm sure you're aware of, that have great ideas that really are needed because they're not getting these large companies, these billion dollar companies coming with new innovation and new thoughts to bring to our industry. So where you see that typically is what's happening in another industry and how we bring that to our industry. It's okay to be second, right? Let somebody else frontier it. Let somebody else figure it out. Let somebody else put a lot of R&D dollars into it, but how do we bring it to our industry? Well, so I think, or my belief is when you ask how BBI brings that to the industry, I look at an organization like Hardy and how they try to have these round tables or information of a really good spattering of, of, um, I guess all the contractors that are around the country that are having these issues. And then they share that. And then companies like Train or Mitsubishi or Carrier or these large multi-billion dollar companies say, okay, let's put some dollars behind innovating and what we can do to do that. So to your point, there's all kinds of focus on products. We need products. We need better products. We need to cut Decton, we have all these issues we're going on with porcelain. How do we do this? Very important, critically important. All fabrics, fa you know, uh, 
SFA, all these organizations that are directly for fabricators asking these questions, great questions. Got to figure that out, right? Got to keep doing that. But we also know that in troubled times like we just got through, is our website bringing us enough leads? Are our salespeople doing the right techniques when they go into a person's home for residential or into a commercial opportunity or to big box and selling the right way. And what I mean by the right way is not only selling the product, but selling at the right margin so that <laughs> everybody can be healthy, right? And not, and not demeaning all the work that people have to do to get a quick sale, but that hurts us long-term because now we're all competing and race to the bottom on pricing. Those issues are no different in heating and air conditioning or here. So some of the techniques that were used or some of the dollars that were put behind doing that, there's a lot of business solutions that are out there for contractors that allow us to use those for fabricators that we would like to bring to the market. So one of the things that we have done over the last year is we've been into, we went into about 10 locations and we've done what we call an audit. We're not the best fabricators, that's not what we know, but what we can do is we can compile all the information that we see in a fab shop. How is it circulating? You know, is it, is it uh, efficient in the way it's run? Are they using the right products? But it's not only the fab shop, it's also, are they using a business solution that allows them to run a right process? I'm a big fan of EOS. EOS is a process that goes in the whole front room on every component and every discipline you have in your organization. That's one of them, right? That's one of the opportunities to say, maybe you should put EOS to make sure you're as efficient as possible in the way you run your business. Do you have the right lead generation capabilities to generate enough business to support your fabrication? Do you have all the safety things you need, like from a NSI that has those available to you? How are you using them? Well, if you're a shop owner and you're busting your butt trying to get leads or trying to get sales or trying to make sure your fabrication is done, you can't focus on every discipline of your business. It's difficult. It's and then back to your very first question, then how do you have a good work home life balance? Yep. All that stuff doesn't work. So our goal as a partner is trying to steal some of the things we've learned from heating and air conditioning, bring those together, do an audit, hopefully represent some of the things that we think have worked. We're not the, we don't develop a website, right? But we might be able to do something on an economy of scale that allows people to use a service that we can suggest they use to help them in that fashion. Yeah. So when you look at all the disciplines of an organization, if we can help with some of the best practices and we become a really good partner, does that then show you how important you are to us and then make you want to buy the products we're offering as well? Yeah. Well, it, change, it changes the whole dynamic from just a transaction to, you know, the value added and the relational aspect of it when uh, you 
involve or, or make that component of it available is, is, is huge. I mean, just, uh, it's, it's awesome. And I'm glad you're taking the opportunity to share that because, you know, it, it, with as busy as everybody is, you know, that message isn't necessarily, I'm sure you guys are making that case and, and trying to deliver that message. Um, but um, I'm glad you're taking the time to go into this level of detail and, and to explain this vision uh, uh, for how you see yourselves in the, in, in, in the industry. We, so being here three years, first of all, trying to understand the industry, right? Trying to understand the distribution, how products are coming from a manufacturer through distribution, sometimes direct. It's just, it's the craziest thing I've ever seen. But the way our distribution works in this industry, trying to figure all that out was tough. So we, I wouldn't say we're at a point as an organization to say, We've got all the best practices. We've got all these things in place, but we have moved in that direction. And I do believe 2021 for us will be a big part of being able to offer those business solutions, those products to help support more than just product at a price. Yeah, I love that. Well, and, and I've, I've always wondered, in fact, I've, I've probably made the case, it's purely anecdotal, but since you came out of an industry that I would have used or have used as an, as an example, in fact, even during our sales process at the retail level, that's our focus for our stone shop, direct-to-consumer countertop replacements are bread and butter. So we're often, if, when possible, when there aren't COVID lockdowns <laughs> preventing us from being in the customer's house uh, or on a Zoom call, which we're doing quite effectively, shockingly. We start our sales presentation with literally, this is a, almost a word for word. Um, how many times have you had countertops? Well, never. Well, how many quotes have you got? Well, I've gotten one. Okay, well, what have you learned about the industry? Not much. Well, it's really important that you understand, Mrs. Jones, that unlike the HVAC industry, the electrical contracting industry, plumbing, the stone industry does not have any apprenticeship. There's no licensing. There, there are no fixed standards or code that anybody is held to. So, so you as a consumer really have to be careful doing your research because unlike those other, I would call them regulated trades, you at least have the inspector that you can call out there to say, hey, this wasn't done right. And that inspector at the county level or the city level, whatever it is, can compel that provider to make it right where the stone industry is, is not like that. So that's been my theory as to why we see this race to the bottom and, and where I've always imagined that those hate, and I'm not a big regulation guy, don't hear me say that, that I think regulation's this wonderful thing. But in terms of protecting the integrity of the industry, protecting the financial viability of the companies that are, are so heavily invested in this business, um, can you speak to that? I'm, I'm curious if I'm on point there, if that's a fair assessment of maybe the differences and why we have this, or maybe they have that race to the bottom in, in the HVAC industry as well. I don't know. Um, I would say less of it. And I would say the difference is, so for example, if you were to say somebody is, uh, uh, has the NSI um, approval, right? And they Accreditation. By uh, NSI. Part of another part of that is heating and air conditioning. That industry promotes the heck out of being accredited mm. and having those same regulations that you're referring to. So they market it, 
Mm. And they do a really good job of saying, you, you will be safe. Your family will be safe. Your house will be safe. There's a lot of potential issues if you have to save a thousand dollars could burn your house down. I don't think that's what you're looking for. Right. Not that ours is only cosmetic, but it's more cosmetic, right? But the importance is to your point to speak to it. Are we promoting it as a fabricator in the stone industry? Are we communicating why the safety of people? the investment we've made to make sure that we understand the materials properly so that your kitchen looks right to the safety of whatever that may be, or the health of the way we run our operation. Those are all expenses to us, but it also assures that you get a great countertop that you'll be proud of. And you might not be comparing it. Like you said, you may have never bought one before, but I will assure you if there's something wrong with that, and it's all done and you've spent a lot of money, somebody's going to notice it and you're going to notice it and you're not going to be happy and you can't just go change that. Yep. Right. It's not an easy change, but are are we marketing what we've done to make sure we've met the regulations? Because you're right. There's a a lot more unregulated um, shops in this business than there is in heating and air conditioning. But I would tell you it only takes one, right? It only takes one or two in a, in a community, in a city that can go out and lowball prices and really hurt it. So the importance is how do you advertise, promote, and instill in the consumers the value of that regulation that you're adhering to? And I don't think we do a good job of the promotion side of that. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I, and I don't want to be super critical, you know, the industry, it's, it's the only thing I've ever done, but so I don't have anything to compare it to. So, uh, so there's that promotion at the, at the industry level. And, you know, the, I think the other dynamic is the natural stone, whereas, you know, carrier and train and these, these manufacturers, and I don't know how many of those are, you know, domestic or they're overseas, but there's a lot more that goes into QC and, and the, the, I'm guessing to some degree regulation UL maybe has to come in in terms of certifying that those things are being manufactured to very high standards. So they don't burn the house down where in our industry, the material that's coming in is coming in from all over the world. It's, it's like the antithesis of regulated, you know? And, and so this dimension of the business, you know, 35, 40% of the cost of the, the, the end user's product is in that raw material that has no regulation it's all fractured, like you said, and, and there's no unified voice, you know, not just somehow regulating the quality of the product coming in, but even just advocating for it and advocating for those of us who have made this massive investment so that that raw material can actually get to the end user. <laughs> and I feel like the, the I'll, just, I'll just say it, the industry has been poorly served um, by the support that the, the raw material the material part of the equation and 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 i don't want to say any more than that i don't want to be more critical than that but what a, whereas in the it, with these established corporations with with branding you know carrier and train i'm not even in the industry and i know those two you know i'm aware of those two those two brands right there's 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 not much to 
equate to that in the stone industry. And so um, if there's not that advocating at the, at the industry level, to your point about being able to sell effectively, we as fabricators have got to, in a sense, <laughs> pick up the slack and yeah. advocate for ourselves at that, you know, at that point so that we're not sucked into that race to the bottom. And that's interesting for, from, from BBI in my perspective is because obviously is, as you're aware, I mean, we're, we're tools and consumables, right? Material handling. And so we don't get involved with the actual material yep. that's used in the slabs. Um, but I would tell you to your point, that's, that's the largest cost part yeah. of the whole process. I mean, whether it's the, whether it's the labor or that, I mean, that's the, the larger part. Ours is obviously extremely important because it needs it to finish it, but yeah. um, not investigating those things. I would tell you from afar, there's clearly not regulations or the level of, uh, of controls or however you want to say that, um, that guide, what's going to the market. Yeah. And that, yeah. And I don't, I don't necessarily want to get, I could easily fixate on that and make this whole conversation about my grievances with the, uh, the, the, uh, what we, I think increasingly, you know, the problems that we're seeing with natural stone are just, and we're, we're the ones left inspecting the slabs, incurring the cost of in, uh, handling delivery, returning, the delays on our projects because the quality material that's being delivered to us is, is subpar. Anyway, enough on that. Yes. <laughs> Back to, you know, Braxton Bragg and BVI. Walk, I'm, I'm, I'm having to, I'm trying to consciously shift my, uh, uh, my language, you know, to BBI, 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 and I still will revert back to Braxton Bragg. Walk us through that, that change. And I'm not sure, you know, if everybody on the on on the podcast even realizes that that transition has been made, so can you walk us through that? Kind of tell us about how that so came about. That happened earlier this year. We've uh, as we've this last year was a wonderful year for business for us. I mean, as a direct marketer and the way we go to market, um, we have had uh, we spend a lot of money and a lot of resources on our website, making life a little easier. We have a call center of over 20 people here that take phone calls all day long, all night, trying to help people um, work their way, either navigate through an order or an issue or a problem, whether we know the answer or don't, we'll get it. But the point is, is that's the way we've been in business for 20 plus years. And over the last year, we've actually brought in eight new outside salespeople um, that have enhanced our local presence to support the initiative of how do we become a good partner. And through that transition, we wanted to be recognized a little different in who we are and how we're serving the market. The reason for a change for a name was Braxton Bragg was just not associated with our products or our company. There was really no association. So as we went in the last couple of years of trying to be BB. We enhance it with BBI, better service, better value. Uh, and that's BB Industries. So, you know, we really just made the change because we wanted to be able to promote what we stand for. I mean, we, we have a 30 day money back guarantee satisfaction, no questions. Use a blade, 
for 29 days, you don't like it, we're going to help you. We're not going to question it. We don't have a big issue on what we're doing. And we've done that for many years, but that 30 day money back guarantee, that's in no industry uh, yeah. as a distributorship and, and uh, especially not in tools. And so when you look at what, what we're willing to commit to our service levels, I don't know if who we were formally got the credit and people are like, Oh yeah, I know who you are. Yeah. I know what you do. I, well, you, you really don't, <laughs> you really don't clearly understand the level of commitment we have to our service. We ship, this is not an exaggeration, 99.9% of the orders that come in by 5.30 Eastern time go out that day. Wow. That doesn't happen anywhere. Oh. I mean, I'm here till 7, 7.30 at night, and right behind me, uh, we, get, we, have, we are the largest shipper of product in Knoxville, Tennessee. To FedEx, largest. Wow. So we have the last pickup. We ship 99.9%. So our inventory is our focus on process, shipping. That's really important to us. And then we guarantee it. We literally guarantee there's a 30-day money-back guarantee. You can have your money back. You can take it in credit. We don't ask 37 questions. We, do, we take it back. There, there's no question. So... I think, I think we got lost in what our service levels were because people thought they knew who we were. And so by changing who we are going to market, better service, better value, what we're doing, our, our guarantee, you know, our three ways of going to market, whether it's the web, whether it's inside sales or now outside sales, all the things necessary to cover the country to be all the way east to all the way west, serve in two days, we'll ship product. We'll next day it if somebody wants it. So our commitment to service, I don't believe we got the credit levels. And if you look online at our products and our prices, we do all of that. And, I, and I, I'm pretty comfortable saying that our pricing across the board is lowest in the industry. Now you're gonna get, you can negotiate prices, but our list price, we don't play games with high prices and then we're going to lower them. We offer a fair price, which is lower than most people on our website every day, all day. So we do this huge promotion, right? 20% off. And he's like, Oh, I get 30% from the competition. Well, that's because they're 40% higher than me. <laughs> so I guess my point is we do a lot of really good things to the market to support them by getting our products at the lowest price every day on our website, list price, 30 day guarantee, ship same day. We'll get it anywhere in the country in two days, automatically, quicker if you want it or need it. And now we've got local distribution. We're shipping out of the West Coast now. So all the things that we're doing to meet the local market's needs, we thought the name change gave us an opportunity to do exactly what you just did and said, why is the name change? Well, it's because we want to make sure that the message is a little different than it was before. And, and the BBI, that's better, better, better service, better value, better service, better value. Got it. And, that, and having that connection now makes sense. And I just thought it was shortening the, uh, the name to an acronym. <laughs> well, kind of. 
it's easy for me to say. I mean, so it's better the, service, better value has always it's been our moniker for the last three years that I've been here. And that's really our focus, trying to keep it really simple. Better service, better value. Might not always be the best price, but pretty close. But I, I mean, I would say across the board, the value that we offer, the service we offer, the guarantee that we offer, better value. So better service, better value, BB Industries, BBI. We thought it was really important to get that name out there. Got it. Well, it's such a distinct, you know, differentiation, you know, in the market as opposed to just, you know, another company showing up with a, a van full of tools and a van full of pads and, 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 and competing on price and, right. uh, you know, and, and to bring that value. And that's something that um, I think I, I, just to touch on it, that opportunity where it's easy sometimes to get caught up in that, well, that's the only way to succeed. Or if, if you even believe that you have to compete and we do have to compete because there's multiple people vying for this business, yeah. but we don't have to compete on the terms of the competition, i.e., well, I can put a van in, in Portland too, and I'll charge 3% less. And that'll be my message when I walk in is, hey, I got the same pad for you know, 27 cents less a pad. Yeah. To come at it from a completely different, completely innovative way uh, to differentiate based on value and saying, I might actually charge you more in some cases, but here's why. Because the value that you get by working with us is so far above and beyond the actual cost That's right. difference that it, you know, and, and so I'm curious from a strategic standpoint, I'm trying to imagine myself in those planning meetings as you, you come in, coming out of the, the, the HVAC industry going, wow, there's some real opportunities here. You know, when you started imagining or, or, or putting this vision into practice, you know, what did that planning process look like? What is the, the time frame that you would say, okay, this is going to take a, uh, this isn't going to happen overnight. There is a name change in the marketing and how we communicate this and how we deliver on it. What, what does that planning process look like, you know, from, from a CEO's perspective? Um, pull something to, to this, uh, this is so exciting to me. I just, I love hearing this story, uh, you know, because it, it's so unique and, it, and it's such an innovation and, and it's this value principle. So I, I just love to hear, you know, you know, from that angle, from your perspective, the you know, one implementation. The, early on in my career, I mean, I, I can just, re, I, I still remember to this day, uh, I, I really wanted to make an impact on a company I worked for. And so I walked into the first meeting and I had, I knew all the answers. I was ready to give out, you know, this is what we should do. This is why we should do it. I can't believe we're doing this. And uh, I can remember the president looking at me and just you know, very politely saying, Rick, um, why don't you just shut up and wait six months and then live here for a little while and then decide if what you're saying right now still makes sense. Because I want to listen to you and I want to respect you, but I can't when you come in and make a change right away. So I think that's one of the things that I've always lived by is, is, live there for a little bit, try to get an understanding. But I would also say another one of the big things for me, now this is, I'm a big process guy. It's all about process to me. And, and I love process because I think it's not all about adopting a process is not easy, but what it does do for me is it helps you understand if things are working or not working in what your thoughts are, right? So running a process and truly adopting it and not bobbing and weaving. That's what we did. So we adopted the EOS process, which 
is really more about the opportunity to have a consistent cadence, holding people accountable, and then having a scorecard to see if it's working or not working. It's about that simple, to be quite honest. And so having something that's simple that we all can gather around our whole company, living here for a little bit, really started saying, what do we need? What are we missing? What's the competition looking uh, doing well that we're not? What is, what, when we go, we are part of every single association in this industry and we don't pay our money. We put our resources behind it. We send multiple people to all of them. We participate in all of them because they all have some good value behind them. And so living there for a little bit, gathering all that information and then putting a strategic plan in place. That's how that started. I started in October of 2017. So I would tell you by the end of the first quarter of 2018, I felt really comfortable that we could chart a path for what we thought was right. And I was wrong most of the time, but <laughs> because we do a scorecard and we're, we're, we're vulnerable, we're, we're open, we're full disclosure to our company from, you know, mm -hmm. one person to the last person in the, in, in the organization, we listen, we hear, we talk, everybody has a say and the EOS cadence and the meetings give us an opportunity to do that. I think we learned a lot. And so where we are today, um, I would tell you is, uh, about where I'd hope to be, um, we grew 30% last year. Wow. In, the, in, a, in 2020, in a very tough year. We hired 12 people in the year as a company. We, I mean, it just, it's, it's been, and so I think the buy-in from the company, truly listening to our customer base and the, and the associations, have charted a path for us that allowed us to do it. And so, you know, I think implementing the process, following the process, listening, being vulnerable, put us into a position to make some good decisions. And we social media the heck out of what was going on for the year. So we really worked our butt off. Mm. I'll give you one quick, um, and I know I talk a lot, so I apologize, but there's one area that I think was really big for us during this whole thing. And we called it the Buffalo leadership and lived in Denver for about 15 years. Um, and so my leadership philosophy really was kind of that Buffalo philosophy and we call it the Buffalo leadership. And why we do that is because a Buffalo in the storm head right into the storm and they run through the storm because they get through it quicker versus trying to outrun it and get the hell away from it. And when COVID happened, we took that weekly meeting and we had meetings every day with every discipline. So if you can only imagine, I mean, I can't, I can't even handle one meeting a day and I'm going through 10 meetings each day. Wow. So our senior leadership had to be in each meeting because we had people going remote. We didn't know how that was going to happen because we weren't doing that before. We're all in one building. So now we're remote. How are we going to contact? But what happened from an organizational standpoint is a bad situation. I would never deal with right now. We, whatever, we got 50 plus employees, right? So with 50 plus employees, I would have never dealt with them every day. I mean, I would never have had the opportunity understood how to, but because this forced us to have those good discussions and the good dialogue, 
we understood each other a lot better. Couldn't maintain that level, but we did for eight weeks, wow. every day, 10 meetings. Hmm. So having those discussions, the one-on-fours, the one-on-fives, small group discussions, each discipline, what's working, what's not working, what can we do better? It really made us a better organization, made us closer as a group, made us understand each other. And I think we've come out of it, and I know we're not out of COVID yet, but we're out of that timing for us. Yeah. You know, we, uh, so this Buffalo mindset, attacking it, you know, we talk about this, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means you're still in the tunnel. <laughs> I mean, you're still in the tunnel. That's what it means. Just because you see the light, you're still in it. So how do you keep working, driving? And I think our people really care. We got phenomenal people. We do, you know, the, the, the EOS process, make sure you have the right people in the right seat. I know that's a analogy that everybody's used, you know, for many years, but it's simple, right? I mean, do you have the right people? It's true. You know, I mean, it's important. Them. Yeah. So I know that's a whole bunch of stuff, but it was really about that leadership style that I think we took as a group. I think we embraced our people um, and our people got us through it. Wow. Put us in a really good position. In, in, in a sense, allowed you to continue to, I mean, almost do two things at once. You, you continuing the implementation of the strategy that had begun, you know, a year, two years before that storm. We're not through yet. Um, but so to not only continue to, to see that, you know, come to fruition, but simultaneously run up against something that was completely unexpected. And to, um, I, I, that, that analogy is very interesting. I'm, I'm, the storm's moving. That's the idea. The storm blows through. And yeah. if you run in front of it, it you stay in it longer because you're in a sense staying a pace of it as opposed to turning and running into it. You come out the back end of it as it's moving the other direction. I love that. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's, 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 it's worked for us and it kind of a rally cry, if you will, as a group and an organization that's helped us. Mm. So th those, and I just want to speak those, I was jotting notes down as you were recounting, you know, how you guys responded to COVID, you know, and, and this, I think, comes back to the, how we started the conversation, you know, as a CEO, you know, what do we learn? What do I learn as a stone shop owner of a small enterprise from a CEO who came out of a $500 million company? and is leading a company, you know, through, through this, there was, uh, well, you've talked repeatedly about the EOS and the dependency on processes, which I think applies documentation, setting expectations that have measurable standards or standards that can be measured is, is necessary and relevant. Even in a three or four person company, there is value. In fact, if I got my phone here, I got to send, I got to read this text I got from a guy yesterday to this point. He, uh, he said, <laughs> you're going to crack up when you read this. He said, we were talking about processes, actually. And he said, uh, he, ta he, he talked about how they are long and tedious to produce. And my response was yes, but they continue to produce results after you've implemented it that are predictable and consistent so you don't have to focus on it anymore. Exactly anyway, sorry, right. yeah, sorry for that aside. But you're just the process focus and then being open and transparent how you involved, you know, your team, a stone shop owner with four employees or 40 employees can still learn something from what you said in terms of being transparent and involving people in the solution and engaging them communication 10 meetings a day. <laughs> everybody has a say, you know, we're, we're keeping everybody involved up to date, 
measuring progress, listening to the customer. I, I, these are all relevant, fundamental, um, and it's just extremely powerful uh, things to be reminded of, no matter how big or small your company is. Yeah, agree. There's two things that I think are critically important that play off of that to continue it and make it successful. One is it's a lot of work, right? So it's like people have an idea and they put an idea in place and that's great, but to execute them and really commit to them, that's a lot of work and that's a lot of work for your group. Mm -hmm. So we have what I consider the number two part is what I would, what, what I would suggest to everybody is what the, the best thing that I have implemented that we do uh, as part of EOS, one of the books that they have is called uh, Radical Candor. Hmm. And we take that radical candor and we take this very seriously. And what we have is we have what we call our monthly one-on-ones. Every boss has a monthly one-on-one -on -one with every employee. And the one-on-one -on -one only has three questions. There's no notes. It's not about writing stuff down and tracking and there's three very simple things. What's working for you as an employee and a person and a family member? What's not working? And lastly, what is the delight you get out of life, out of work, out of whatever it may be? And how do we continue to make sure that we are providing some aspect of that to close the gap so you could have your ideal job, your ideal career, whatever it may be. And we might not get there, but if we know what it is, we can work together to see if you're proving your point, if you're working hard at what you need to do and we're trying to provide it. But if I can get five, 10% more out of every employee, because we truly show them that we care and we're truly working, take that across the board. Things happen, yes. work happens, success happens. And when you have that kind of passion for what we're doing, what's working, what's not working, and what are your delight points that we can work on? How do we get you there in your career? How do we get you there? You need to get off at two o'clock every day on a Thursday afternoon because your son has a football game, go. Now I would expect that I'm gonna get seven o'clock on Wednesday from you and you're gonna work a little later because it's a, it's a give and take. Right. But those are really important to you in a certain time in your life. How do we provide that with you? And we can do that no matter how big of a company or how small of a company we are, as long as we're all working together. And do that once a month, show them how much you care, prove to them how much you care, and make sure that they're accountable for what they're supposed to do. It's a great give and take, and it's a great takeaway. So we don't have meetings every day, 10 times a day anymore, but we still have our monthly one-on-ones, every employee in our company, and it's scheduled, and you can't adjust from it. Hmm. It's awesome. Wow, how long have you guys been doing that? Uh, last year and a half. Okay. Wow. So if you can do that at a, at a big company, you can definitely do that. And that's going to be, you know, a lot of times when it comes down to even annual reviews, it's like, I don't have time for this. I, I don't have time to sit down with one employee for, you know, 45 minutes once a year. It feels like that. Yeah. But well, it retire that one employee or make sure that he, all, all it takes is one bad countertop to think, oh yeah, I probably could have spent an extra hour with that guy. Made some time. All the money and time. And it's just, it's part of the, you know, and I don't think it's a bad word being a boss. It's part of being a boss. Yeah. I mean, it's part of being a leader. 
right? Is truly understanding your people, showing them you truly care and giving them an opportunity to grow. And you know what? There's two kinds of people. There's superstars and there's rock stars. Rock star means that you're foundation. You don't have to work 70 hours a week to be a rock star. You have to be really good at what you do. And if that's what your career goals are, do that. If you want to be the superstar and elevate, let's see what you can do to help us do that. Mm. But, you know, find out what's really in it for them. Show them you care, but have that constant communication on, are you doing your part? Am I doing my part? How are we working together? Let's make this thing happen. Yeah. And the thought that occurs to me hearing you say that the, the, the success of the company does not need to come at the expense of the people. It, it, it's actually enabled by not only serving your customer, but serving them as well and creating an environment where, where like you said, they're given that extra five, seven percent is what you annualize that. <laughs> what that you know, what that becomes at the end of the year is probably 30 percent, you know, increase. Exactly right. Yeah, right. That's right. Wow. That is that is such a great note to end on. You know, it's it's in the grind when you are overwhelmed and overscheduled and under the gun. It, it, it is difficult to keep those things in mind and, and just to think about them, much less do anything about them. But to hear you, you know, to articulate that uh, in a year where you're doing massive growth, where you're hitting headwinds, fulfilling a strategy, there is still time made for that kind of, you know, attention on the people that make it possible is just, I, I think that's a great, I don't, I, I hope this not to be our last conversation, but I think that is a place uh, you know, to just sort of wind this up and, and end on that note. So fellow fabricators out there, um, keep this in mind. What, what Rick has just explained, what he has shared with us is a, is a model. Uh, it, it is a path forward to emulate in terms of how we not just get it done today, but how we move our companies forward into the future and how we take care of the people that, uh, that make our paychecks possible. Our job is to assure customer delight. Anybody that's on this podcast or hears it that wants to call, talk, have these conversations, I am open to help any way I can. Uh, that is fantastic. And I know, uh, I, I know people will take you up on this. I am, um, I am intrigued and, and my perception of BBI has changed dramatically in this short hour that we've had together. And so I'm looking forward to, uh, to those conversations going, uh, you know, going into the future. So Rick, Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. Uh, I know it came at a cost and I just wanted you to know how much I value that, how much I appreciate you sharing with us today on the Fab Lab podcast. Thank you. Appreciate the forum. Thank you very much, Aaron. Nice talking to you. Yeah, take care. Wow. That was a fantastic conversation. I am, I am so grateful for the opportunity to be able to, uh, to talk with industry professionals like Rick. What an amazing, uh, what an amazing individual, what an amazing leader. And uh, quite frankly, that, that's a model. When I sit here and consider the conversation and the story that he told about how they are innovating at BBI, how they are looking to understand what the customer needs in terms of value and then positioning their company not just to be another tooling provider, but to provide real value to the fabrication community. Uh, I'm inspired. And and ladies and gentlemen, fellow fabricators, I don't care if you lead a team, if you lead a department, if you lead a small fab shop or a big fab shop, everything that Rick talked about today applies to you and I. And, uh, and we've been fortunate and privileged to learn. 
and uh, to be reminded of some things that are just really fundamental and foundational to success in leadership and in business. And so, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed this interview and this episode as much as I did. Now, make sure you tune in next time because we're going to have another one right behind it. Until then, happy fabricating.